The Air by Vita Sackville West. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story four. Her son. Four. Henry was there. He arrived cheerfully and full of good will. If coming down in the train, three hours. How could any one, good Lord, so bury themselves in the country when they weren't obliged to? If, coming down in the train, he had drilled himself, rather deliberately, into the suitable frame of mind, at the actual moment of his arrival, he found himself, unexpectedly, invaded by a rush of genuine pleasure. He had been touched by the sudden sight of his mother, asleep in the porch, wrapped in the same old cloak which he well remembered. Her cheek, when he kissed it, had been so cool and soft and naturally scented and her confusion and delight had both been so sweet and so candid. They went into the house together, eagerly. He put down his hat and coat on the same coffer which was in its unaltered place, and still the warm of homecoming had not deserted him. She took his arm and led him towards the sitting-room. Not much change, you see, Henry. I had to have new covers for the chairs and the sofa, and I thought it would be nice to have them a little different but everything else is just the same. Now I expect you'd like to go to your room and wash. I've had some hot water put there for you, and luncheon will be ready in five minutes. He splashed over his basin, looking round his room meanwhile, and thinking how clean and fresh it was, and how jolly the view out of the window, with the river shining down in the valley, washing his hands with an energy that brought the soap up into an instant lather and as he dried them on the soft huckaback of the fringed towel, he smiled to himself, for he remembered the old joke of his mother's niceness over such things as linen. He unpacked his brushes and brushed his hair vigorously. It was sleek and black, and he brushed it till it shone like a top-hat. He ran downstairs, jumping the last six steps, and shouting out to his mother. He felt quite boyish. He put his hand through her arm, and drew her out to the porch, where they stood while they waited for luncheon. He held her arm close to his side in a possessive way. They were both very gay, and rather tremulous. 5. How well you look, Henry, and so brown! Why, you might be twenty instead of nearly thirty. Now what do you want to drink? Claret? Beer? Cider? Try a little of our cider. It's homemade, last season's brew, and I think we have got it in exactly the right measure of wheat. It is so easy to make a mistake, to put in too little or too much, but I think last autumn we got it just right. But Henry did not care for cider. He preferred whiskey and soda. Have what you like, of course, dear boy. Here are my keys, Sanford. Get the bottle of whiskey out of the cupboard, please and bring it for Mr. Henry, and let me have the keys back. Dear me, Henry, we both have so much to say to one another that it makes us quite silent. I scarcely know where to begin. Never mind, it will all come out little by little, and we have plenty of time before us. I have made a great plan of all I want to show you this afternoon. You must come round to the farm after luncheon and speak to lines and I dare say he will like to have a whole day with you going over things, to-morrow or the day after that. She beamed at him where he sat opposite to her, at the end of the table, and he smiled back at her. She thought how nice-looking he was, with his lean brown face and black hair. 
He had the look of hard health. She remembered how well he had always looked in the saddle. It had, indeed, been a great incentive to have this son to work for, to guard his interests, to build up the perfect little estate for him to inherit. The studious evenings she had spent had not been wasted. All that she had learnt conscientiously, for she would never trust wholly to Lyne's experience about manures, the rotation of crops, the advantage of fat stock over dairy produce. All that laboriously acquired knowledge in the service of such a son had not been useless. It wasn't in the nature of women, she had decided long ago, to work solely for the sake of the work. And this was one of the things she often said, particularly when the subject of women's emancipation was mentioned. How impressed he would be, after luncheon, when she took him out. He would expect her to know about the garden. The garden had always been her specialty. But he should find that she wasn't a docile ignoramus about the farm, a mere writer of checks to Lyne's dictation. She beamed at him again, hugging her satisfaction to herself. She was glad that she had not been born a man, to work for work's own cold, ungrateful sake, but a woman to work for the warm appreciation in a fellow-being's eyes. And Henry was charming her, as she had expected to be charmed. He chaffed her a little, and she fell into a little confusion, not knowing whether to take him seriously, until she perceived that he was laughing, and then she reproached him for teasing an old woman, and they laughed happily together. He saw that he was being a success, and expanded under the flattery. He teased her about her old cloak. She found an exquisite thrill in the proprietary intimacy with which this man, who was like a stranger to her, was treating her. She blushed and bridled, and the more she bridled, the more fondly he teased. His eyes were narrowed into laughing slits. He leant over to her, as he might have leant, confidentially, over to any woman with whom he happened to be lunching. She thought, with a queer envy, of the future, Mrs. Henry, and the thought made her ask abruptly, "'You've nothing to tell me about yourself? You're not engaged, I mean, or thinking of it?' Henry looked taken aback by the question. Then he threw back his head and laughed. "'Good Lord! Who to? You forget I've been in the heart of the Argentine for five years.' "'Oh, no, I don't forget,' she said softly, thinking how little she had forgotten but one finds old friends in London. I don't know." For a moment he seemed embarrassed. It passed. I've not been in London forty-eight hours, and I had plenty of other things to do there. He said it glibly, hoping she would not wonder what he had done with his evenings. She did not wonder, her imagination not readily extending to restaurants or dancing-places, or the bare shoulders of women under a slipping opera cloak. She had forgotten about those things. It was so long since they had come her way, even remotely. And in spite of her benevolence towards Mrs. Henry, she was conscious of a fugitive relief. "'Then I needn't feel selfish about keeping you here,' she said. "'And it will be a nice rest for you, after your journey and all the business you had to do in London. Now, if you have quite finished, might we go out? It gets dark so quickly.' They went out, already the fresh beauty of the day was passing. It was colder, and there was more grey and less gold between the trees. 
let us go up to the top of the garden said mrs martin who felt she could not bear to keep the secret of the three hundred acres to herself a moment longer six they went slowly up the garden path between the flaming borders that flamed less now that the sun was no longer on them she noted the difference and was sorry they should not be showing themselves off at their best nevertheless henry said how jolly your flowers are mother and she was satisfied she had taken his arm from her other hand swung her inseparable companion the garden basket and from sheer habit she kept a sharp lookout for a possible weed even though henry was there she knew now now that he was there how lonely had been her wanderings up that garden path and how hollow really had been her gardening triumphs since there was no one to admire them and to share not that she had ever faced the fact for it was not her habit to face facts but now since it had become a fact only in the past she could allow herself to turn round and wave it a little belated valedictory gesture of recognition she pressed henry's arm ever so slightly against her side not enough for him to notice only enough to give herself assurance and comfort stupid of her not to have realized how much she wanted henry he had been always in the background of course and she had trained herself to think that that was enough perhaps it was fortunate rather than stupid she would have wanted him too much if once she had let herself begin to think about it it was pleasant to have the physical support of his arm to lean on it was surprisingly pleasant to have the moral support of his presence she had had to carry all the responsibility herself for so long the responsibility of decisions all the loneliness of command and although she was quite well aware of her own efficiency she felt that she was growing a little tired and would be happy to let some of the responsibility slide off onto henry's shoulders when lines was obstinate as he sometimes was it would be a comfort to reply that he must discuss the matter with mr henry at the end of this train of thought she said confidently to henry you won't be going back to the argentine any more dear will you henry emerged startled from a parallel train of thought that he had been following the first warm excitement of his homecoming had passed and he was beginning to wonder what he should do when once his mother had had her fill of showing him all which she had vaguely threatened to show and which he did not particularly want to see already with reaction things were a little flat but he answered without any perceptible pause no no more argentine for me i'm fed up with the place he was the solitude the rough life had not been to his taste he had grown to hate the plains and the stupid ubiquitous cattle and the endless cattle talk no more argentine for him he had had the experience he had made the money he wanted to make now he wanted the pleasure to which he thought he was entitled that's nice said mrs martin comfortably it will be nice for me to have you at home in my old age henry let this remark pass he hated inflicting disappointment and there would be plenty of time in which to make his plans clear to his mother in the meantime she was so obviously happy a pity to throw a shadow over her first day they reached the top of the path and the clump of firs mrs martin's heart was beating hard and a little pink flush had appeared on her cheeks it was not after all every day that one reached a moment one had anticipated for nearly five years 
she wished she had had the strength of mind to wait until the following morning before bringing henry here for the country was lovelier under the morning mists than now in the cruder light of the afternoon but she had been too much excited too impatient they stood there looking down over the valley across it to the downs she let him look his fill better than the argentine henry by jove yes i should think so better than the argentine she gave a chuckle of happiness she dealt her secret out to him in small doses like the old epicurean she was isn't it nice to think henry that those fields and woods belong to you but they don't he said they belong to you well doesn't that amount to the same thing oh no he said not at all the same thing and the difference in his mind was that whereas she loved and wanted the fields and woods their possession would have bored him dear henry that is just an evasion you know that it amounts to the same thing really let us for the sake of argument assume that they belong to us both all right he said humoring her do you remember she went on we used to say how nice it would be if our property went down as far as the river did we doesn't it no i don't remember he said absently but henry think darling well it does now right down to the river how splendid he replied feeling that he was expected to say something of the sort but didn't it always end of story four sections four to six